All right, good morning, everyone. I am not Pastor Dave. <laughs> he is, uh, uh, Dave is uh, in uh, Mawa, New Jersey this morning, uh, subbing in for a friend who I guess is, is out of town. So you know what they say, here today, gone to Mawa. That's a cute one, yes, and I'm old enough that I'm allowed to make dad jokes. So, yes, and that was definitely a dad joke, so. Yes, and uh, I've been recovering this week. I probably am a little, still a little short of breath and, and a bit nasally, but uh, we'll get through this together. So, um, you know, scared Dave a little bit, told him <coughs> how sick I was earlier this week, and he's like, are you going to be able to do this? Yes, yes, we'll we'll get through it. We'll get through it. So uh, uh, I apologize. I'm not nearly as good uh, as uh, as Dave is, or as well studied, or as well read. But uh, hopefully, I have a little something for you uh, this morning that you can benefit from and uh, and take away. So I want to start with something from my past. A long time ago, a really long time ago, um, I heard a series of lectures about the nature of God. And the gentleman who was giving it was a biblical scholar. scholar. He, was, he was Greek, and he sounded Greek, too. I don't know what that means, but he just, he sounded Greek, and, you know, everything he said was Greek to me. But... Uh, he he is very very thoughtful, like like Dave, very well read, very in depth, very studied. Uh, didn't like to conjecture about thing things, but the one thing that he could have said about the nature of God that he never really did was that it's beyond our comprehension. But. In describing the nature of God, he talked a lot about who God is, and it was deep. It was it was fun stuff, um, but really, that's all we can say about the nature of God. It's it's beyond our comprehension. Jesus, however, let me see. Is this working? Ah, okay. So Jesus, however while he was in the flesh, he actually did spend a lot of time talking about the nature of God. But it wasn't what is God composed of, right? You know, he basically he just said, God is spirit. And that is to say, he's not physical. Or maybe we could just simply say, he's not put together like a human being. But again, the key here is that throughout his ministry, Jesus described the many ways that we can try to wrap our finite brains around what God is like. And that is essentially the nature of God, what God is like. So, we can relate to him, he can relate to us. And one of the ways that, that Jesus spoke about God, and, and it was really 
somewhat unexpected for a first century Jewish community. He described God as father. But really to delve down into that is, is an entirely different sermon, different subject, and, and to go into a lot of depth on it. But another less commonly emphasized aspect of the nature of God or what God is like is described in Hebrews, the first chapter, which we have up there. And Hebrews is one of my favorite books in the New Testament. It's just so eloquent and, and it just flows so well and so nicely. And, and just the thoughts, they just go from one thing to the next thing. So the writer starts out, in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heirs of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So, one of the things that is in the nature of God is to sustain things. He is a sustainer of all things. Now, similarly, oh, okay, uh, all things, right? So the Greek word for all is, is this word. Uh, I guess it's simple enough that I can say it without wrecking it. I usually, I usually don't say the Greek and Hebrew words, pas. But it means, as down on the bottom, each, every, the whole, everyone, all things. So, you know, we're, we're talking about the whole shebang, right? Everything, okay? Sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, Similarly, in the book of Colossians, we read, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all th here we go again, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority. All things have been created through him, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Again, we read of God in Hebrews as the sustainer, right? And here we read in Paul's epistle to the Colossians that in him all things hold together. So, you know, as we go about our lives, I, I don't think we, you know, we dwell on anything like this. We think, we don't think much about God sustaining all things, perhaps moment by moment. My, my Greek teacher that I referred to in the beginning, his theory was, was that God actually sustains his creation, the entire universe, if you will, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. Now, I, I, I really don't know. I, you know, maybe, maybe not. But the important 
point here is that God is the sustainer, and all things hold together through him. And that God does, in some sense, keeps everything going for us, through us, moment by moment. So, no, wrong button, sorry. So, in, in Genesis, we have this creation narrative, and it, it talks a little bit about, um, uh, you know, how God sustains. He also told the Lord God, took the man, put him in the garden, and told him to work it and to take care of it, to sustain it. You know, I, I think in, in this day and age of movies and, you, you know, what what's written, you know, we have this, like, Harry Potter idea that, you know, God whipped out his magic wand and said, let there be light, and there was light. And that is just the briefest summary. The, we have a universe that is, in my opinion, that is incredibly well-designed intricate, the, the intricacies of the creation and the universe, it, it just baffles the mind. You know, you think about it for a period of time and, you know, my little brain runs up against a brick wall that I, that I can't really penetrate because it's just so, so incredible. But here in this, in this verse in Genesis chapter 2, it talks about God giving the care of it, of, or at least part of the creation, over to man. Now, the, the Hebrew word for work is, uh, it's a root, a root word, and it means also by implication to serve, to till, you know, and that concept is also in, Ge in Genesis, um, to be kept in bondage, be bounded, to service, compelled to do, to dress, right? So man was given an, an assignment. Man is also, in a sense, to sustain the creation, to take care of it, to work it, to take care of it. And then the Hebrew word translated take care of is to hedge about as with thorns, guard, protect, attend to, observe, preserve. You, you get the idea, right? So that's, that's what's going on in this particular verse. So the creation, as designed by God, needs this continual sustenance. And whether God kind of put the universe on autopilot, you know, again, I, I don't know, maybe, you know, it's a kind of a first century bias that the writer, that Paul had. But the point is that God hasn't stepped back from his creation. He tends it, he sustains it, and continually, and he has charged mankind with taking part in that task. And that's the language that we see here also used in Genesis. It's, it's a position of responsibility. And then there are other things that God expects us to tend to. And 
one of the things that's of great importance in the concept of tending and sustaining in, is, is found in Matthew 25. So we're going to go to Matthew 25 now. So there are other things that God expects us to tend to. So this is an interesting um, parable. Uh, I think sometimes we, we read it and we feel a, a little bit squeamish and, and a little bit uncomfortable because this is one of the places in Scripture where Jesus makes it clear that God expects some things of us. He loves us. He takes care of us. He gave his son Jesus as a sacrifice for us to make it possible for us to be with him. But some things are expected. So it starts off, at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like. So Jesus spent a lot of time in his parables talking about the kingdom of heaven. He wanted us to know what God's world is like, what God's culture is like, what things will be like in the future. Jumping down to verse 14, he says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once. He put it to work. Also, the man with two bags. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Well, you probably have read this, and you know what happens. The master comes back. The guy with the five bags is praised for being productive. The guy with the two bags likewise is being is praised for being productive. But the guy who had the one bag, not so much. His master replied. I just have to make sure I got the right slide up there. His master replied to the first two, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who had received one bag of gold came and he said, Master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. Well, then, you should have put the money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, at least I would have had received it with interest. Notice that one person got five, one person got two, one person got one. Each of us, and we'll get into this a bit more, each of us have different abilities. So it's not necessarily that somebody was given more money, if you will, but that each person had a different set, the bags, the different bags of gold. Think of it as different abilities, right? That the first person had maybe a plethora, a, a bunch of talents, right? The next person had talents, but 
a smaller number. The last person only had one talent, but he didn't do anything with it. See, in church speak, this parable is typically used to introduce the topic of stewardship. Now, I've spent a lot of time up until now, and I forgot to bring my phone up here so I don't know what time it is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'll ho- hopefully we'll not go over time or, or anything like that. But in, in church speak, this is typically used to introduce stewardship, okay, which I've taken a bit of time to link to the concept of God as sustainer and human beings as being part of that plan. So stewardship is a topic that typically comes up from time to time in the church, and when the person talking about it starts to elaborate about it, there there are typically three tools that the person will talk about. And I like to call them time, talent, and treasure, okay? So here it is, everyone. This is my T3 sermon. Oh, why is, oh, there it is. This is my T3 sermon. Oh, not that, not that T3. This T3, time, talent, and treasure. So there, um, there are the three tools, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the, uh, the three tools in a minute. But first, I want to go back to, I had a couple of slides before this, apologize, I guess I got them out of order. Yeah, Luke, Luke chapter 12, verse 1. So I just wanted to point out a couple of things here. Um, it's, it says, a man planted, uh, dug a pit around it, then he, okay. He put a wall around it. So this is a different parable about a different subject. But I just, I just want to show you this first verse. He put a wall around it. To me, that's reminiscent of what God did in the beginning that's recorded in the book of Genesis. God brought order out of chaos. He dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. He created resources. He enhanced it. And he built things that were to be used. Then he rented it. He gave temporary ownership of it to human beings. And that's, again, this is where, where the human beings, where we, where we come into the picture. So mankind has discovered some incredible things, like transforming sand or silicon into supercomputers capable of, of amazing, amazing things. And in so many cases, we're just ignoring the one who created it all. But God gives us these tools of time, talent, and treasure 
so that we can enhance what he's already created and take part in the kingdom work, take part in what he is doing. So these are our stewardship tools, right? We've talked about the physical creation as something God sustains, whether it's figuratively or literally, and how and to what extent we're not going to say or try to say. We've seen that God is, if you will, the steward of his own creation. Now, you know, this word stewardship usually infers the management or the delegating of authority to another person, as he did in Genesis, where he told the man, you know, I've created all of this, now I'm giving it over to you. You know, keep it, till it, develop it, right? So God has assigned the stewardship of creation to himself, but as Jesus clearly illustrated in the parable with the bags of gold and the talents, he expects us also to be good stewards of that which has been entrusted to us. <coughs> Excuse me. So hopefully this has all given you some, some food for thought. So let's talk a little bit now about the three tools. Time. In a sense, time is all that a human being has. Essentially, we come into this world with nothing, and we're given time, and we're given time to develop our talents, our capabilities, and those talents and those capabilities are used in developing and gathering resources for us so that we can live independent lives so that we can start a family, perhaps, or that we can devote our lives to uh, a cause or, or something like the gospel, like the kingdom. We'll, we'll get into some of that in, in just a second. But each of us has been given one or more bags of gold, a talent or talents that we might have, that we can and must develop. And the worst thing you can do is to ignore that talent or to bury it in the ground and not use it. Now, sometimes discovering one's talents can be a lifelong endeavor. It can, it can be frustratingly slow. You know, have you ever heard somebody say, I really don't know what I'm good at? Well, I can only tell you, pray about it, and ask God to show you what you're good at. What are your talents? What is it that you have in your toolkit that you can use to his glory and for the enhancement of everything that he has created? Jesus clearly told us that he expects us to be good stewards of the things that he has given us. You know, in, in a message like this, sometimes the person likes to say, God has given us everything. 
we don't own anything. Well, maybe, you know, but whether he is given it to us or not, our time, our talent, and our treasures are in our control, under our control to use, and that we must. What are some of the things that fall under our stewardship? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't say the gospel. The great commission that Jesus gave to the church before he ascended to glory was to go into all the world, preach the gospel, the good news, the message about who God is, what's his nature, what is he like, that he sustains us, perhaps moment to moment. Or maybe the universe is wound up like an old-fashioned clock and just ticks along. I don't know. Not going to try to answer that question. But the gospel is something that we all need to take a part in one way or another. You know, it's, it's never been really in me. I have a, uh, Laura has a brother-in-law, so my brother, brother-in-law, maybe, I don't know uh, how to put it, but uh, he used to love to go out on the street and to witness to people in person. Now, you know, some people have opinions about whether or not that's, that's an effective way of preaching the gospel. I'm not going to go there either. But he had a talent for doing it. You know, it was something that, that was placed in his heart to do. You know, it's never really been me. You know, I'm, not, I'm, just, I'm just not that kind of person. But I think that all of us have something inside of us, something inside of us that can go and be used and to help in the furtherance of the gospel even if it is giving over some of your coin, as people like to call it nowadays. I guess, I guess that's an influence from video games because everything in video games are these coins that are, that are, that are bouncing around. Another, another thing, the church, the body. You know, we're part of, of a greater organism. What we do we don't do individually. We do it as a community. We do it collectively. And that's important. So putting time into the things that we do together as a group, whether it be the stuff assured, or whether it be having a backyard barbecue, or all the things that we tend to do over the course of a year. As a congregation, and then as a greater body, contributing to the greater body of Christ. What, one thing that I've learned over the years is not to wrinkle my nose at other denominations who maybe have a certain tilt or a certain understanding of Scripture. They're still brothers and sisters in Christ, and we all need to put arms around each other and you know, focus on, on the bigger thing, which is Christ crucified. Right. 
family. We, we need to sustain. We're stewards of our family, right? Laura and I have finally become empty nesters after a lot, after a lot of years. Our older son just turned 30. Our younger son is two years behind. And our older son, you know, we, we finally got him off the payroll. You know, he's doing great. Our younger son is in medical school. You know, he's, he's on a good path. And, you know, we're just, we're just so blessed, you know, in that regard. But the, your children, you're given your children for a period of time, you know, as a sustainer, as a steward of your children and your family. That's, that's not something that lasts forever. You do the best you can with, with what you have. And, you know, you just put your time, you put your talents, you put your treasure into it. You sink it all in. Each other. Oh. Have you ever had a friend or a family member that's just sunk down into the pit? You know, it just seems like, you know, for, for whatever reason, everything is against them. Everything. It, it's just no matter whether they go to the left or the right or forward or backward, it just, it just, it's all falling apart. We can be stewards and sustainers of that individual. We can't always solve the problems. In fact, he, you almost never can solve someone else's problems. You, you really can't. But you can be there. And as a steward of that other person's life, you can help them and you can bring them along. Our own lives, well, enough said. In our own lives, you got to take that bag of gold and you got to do something with it, family. You do. You really do. Your resources. You have to develop your resources. I'm really not a great gardener, but honestly, there's something fulfilling about getting out in the garden or going in the front yard and pulling up some weeds or, you know, something like that. But whether it be your home as a resource, whether it be a skill set that you have, or whether it be just your financial resources, those those are there, and they're there for your good, for the good of the community, for the good of the church, and for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. That gospel, that, that gospel is transformative, transformative. Money is complicated. Money is complicated. We have a tendency to grasp our wallets with a death grip that would make Scrooge blush. So, you remember that song about putting time in a bottle? Right? If you look at a dollar bill, right, or just look at your bank balance online, I mean, who uses physical money anymore, right? But that represents a store of your time. 
You have worked. You have put time into accumulating that resource. So that goes back to time. That time is really all that we have. And we need to utilize that time. We must develop our talents. And yet, we must remember that it all came from God. The Deuteronomist, the person who wrote the five books of the Old Testament, told the congregation of Israel, remember that it is God who gives you the blessings to gather in all of your resources. I believe it's Deuteronomy, the 29th or the 30th chapter. It just comes to mind right now. Fun fact, Ebenezer, as in Ebenezer Scrooge, Ebenezer comes from an Old Testament word found in 1 Samuel. And the dictionary defines it as a commemoration of divine assistance. Now, if you will, in A Christmas Carol, Scrooge was visited by divine assistance. Right? And if we pray for it, and if we open our hearts and our minds to it, God will help us to use our time, our talents, and our treasure wisely in a good manner. I don't know if I've gone through all of my slides yet. Each of you in first, all right, yeah, I do want to go through 2 Corinthians 9. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. That's how the New Testament says it should go. You should be convinced in your own mind. You should have a plan. That's the guideline. That's what Paul says. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And prior to that, Paul starts by saying, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So there is a principle and there is a relationship there. Small gifts can have a big impact. Remember the boy who brought the loaves and the fishes when Jesus was preaching to the crowd? That bounty started with something really, really small. You've probably heard of the butterfly effect, you know, where, where the butterfly flaps its wings and then 10,000 miles somewhere else, there's a knock-on effect. Never doubt that what you do, no matter whether it be on a really small micro scale or on a big scale, can have an effect. The word that's translated cheerful, interesting in the Greek, the Greek word is hilaros, right, which 
obviously morphed in English to the word hilarious, right? So God loves a cheerful giver. Smile, think, think about it. So stewardship at its core is about recognizing that everything we have is a gift from God. It's about acknowledging that we are not the owners of our lives, our time, our talents, or treasures, but rather we are managers of these gifts. We are entrusted with these resources, and it's our responsibility to use them in a way that honors God and benefits others.